Welcome to the Athlete Insights Podcast, hosted by Yash Pad Day, a podcast focused on letting athletes tell their journeys in their sport. This podcast is presented by Boxed Water. Boxed Water is better. Welcome to another episode of the Athlete Insights uh, Podcast. Today, I've got my guest, uh, Coach Matt Houck, who's the head volleyball coach at Montana State University. So, Coach Houck, thanks for uh, for taking the time. I know you're just getting back from the new year. I know you guys are probably going to hit the recruiting trail here soon. Uh, so thanks for taking the time and uh, and uh, chatting it up with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it and uh, looking forward to it. For sure, for sure. And so um, I know, and I want to kind of uh, talk about your journey. I know you uh, started off as a baseball player. You played baseball growing up. So we'll kind of touch on kind of your, your early days in sport. And then I want to talk about your transition into coaching and how you got into coaching volleyball um, and, and, and that realm. So can you talk about kind of speaking of those early days, uh, can you talk about kind of your early earliest memory with playing sport and being involved with sport? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I got to grow up as a gym rat, kind of. Both my parents were high school coaches. My mom coached high school volleyball. My dad coached high school basketball and baseball. And, uh, yeah, from, I don't know, I remember being three, four, five years old and mm-hmm. being drug along to the gym and, you know, essentially being sat down in the corner and handed the ball and said, Hey, you know, entertain yourself for the next couple hours while, you know, somebody had practice and, you know, that was many of those, those first years. And so I just, you know, grew up a lot in the gym or at the field with a ball in my hand, throwing it against the wall, shooting on an empty hoop. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, yeah, you know, hitting, hitting off of a tee when the, you know, high school team was out in the field and, you know, just stuff like that. And, uh, with both my parents being coaches, there was a lot of that kind of talk around the house, obviously when I was growing up. So, mm-hmm. you know, my parents sitting around the kitchen table or in the living room talking about what was going on with their teams and how they were handling certain situations. And, yeah. um, and I'm an only child, so I was kind of immersed in it. You know, it was, I was either out playing or I was, you know, sitting there listening, kind of taking it in. So, um, yeah, I, it felt like sport was a, just a really big part of my life from yeah. my, my first memories. And, um, and, and did you it, know baseball was it right away or no, no, uh, no, you know, figured I, uh, out like baseball was your passion to, to, to pursue or, yeah, you know, I got to play three sports in high school. Uh, so I played, I played volleyball, basketball and baseball in high school and, uh, you know, was reasonably talented at, at all three of them. And, um, I actually ended up taking, uh, recruit visits for all three sports as I was struggling to kind of figure out which way I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And as the recruiting journey kind of played out, it, it started to become a little bit more apparent that maybe baseball was my best option. Maybe I could play at the highest level baseball wise mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, give myself the the best chance to compete, you know, and, and win some games and stuff like that. And so I end up, you know, late kind of midway through my senior year, shifted my focus, you know, to baseball. And that was what I was going to pursue. And, um, yeah, you know, finished up kind of following that path to college. Mm-hmm. And I, I talked to when I've interviewed athletes uh, in the past, I've talked about and I'm, I'm very interested. I played golf in high school, didn't get recruited, but I'm very interested to play in college. Um, but I'm very interested in learning about their recruiting process. So I want to ask you about, you said like you felt like baseball was your best option to play at the next level. Can you talk about your uh, recruiting process in high school and how that went on? You played at Milwaukee. Um, yeah. About that process. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, during during those days, it was a lot of, you know, receiving letters, you know, and so it was a lot of coming home and checking the mailbox and seeing yeah. who you got a letter from and, yeah. um, and you know, and trying to decipher what was real and what was just kind of your typical, you know, they sent this to a thousand kids kind of thing, right? And um, yeah. so you rely on your high school coaches a lot to advocate for you and, you know, try to figure out where it's going. And just as it as it was plugging along, it felt like, you know, the baseball, mm -hmm. the schools that were recruiting me from a baseball standpoint were a little bit higher level, were maybe having a little bit more success at the, you know, in the league they were in or at the level they were playing. Mm -hmm. And it, it, uh, it also felt like me, you've, you've seen me, I'm, I'm, you know, five, eight, I'm, you know, at the time in high school, I was 150 pounds or whatever, you know, like I probably wasn't going to go out there and dominate the basketball court, but, yeah. uh, you know, the, the hope was that maybe my, my size and stature wouldn't uh, be a limiting factor as much in baseball. And so I felt maybe like that was also, you know, from a, from that standpoint, going to give me my best chance. I could run, you know, I could pick it pretty good. And so mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I could, I could pursue it that way, but mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I, I, I guess then I, I took the most visits uh, baseball wise, but I, you know, I took a basketball visit. I actually took a volleyball visit as well. Uh -huh. Just, I was just trying to see and, feel it out and kind of, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't sure. I really liked all three sports a yeah, lot sure. and I liked them for different reasons. And, you know, in high school, I really enjoyed the change of season. So I really enjoyed going from, you know, volleyball in the fall and having that, that season end and shifting my gears to basketball. And I, I don't know, I really, I really liked that. And, um, and there was even part of me that thought about, you know, maybe playing at a lower level and trying to play multiple sports. Cause I wasn't sure that I wanted to give up playing some of that stuff so yeah. um, but it just worked out that yeah that baseball ended up being you know maybe the the at the time the best choice for me for sure for sure and can you uh I know you you went to to Milwaukee um and played at Milwaukee can you talk about your time in college and your student athlete experience yeah. in in college yeah um well, just uh, so we're we're super clear. I actually started at Oshkosh, which is a oh, okay. Division three school, and then uh, I transferred to Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, but Oshkosh at the time was, uh, you know, quite good. They, uh, um, you know, were winning national championships at the Division three level, and uh, that's why I ended up pursuing that one. When when they pursued me, what made me so interested is, you know, trying to to win. But my my time at Oshkosh uh, was good. I, I played a lot. We had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it maybe was, wasn't a, a great fit for me. Um, I don't, don't think, uh, the way that, that they chose to go about coaching just didn't fit me really well. And, uh, you know, I think this life is a lot about being authentic and trying to, you know, find your people. And it just didn't seem like those were my people at the time. And so I was lucky enough to, to have some people in my corner that helped me get aligned with Milwaukee and Milwaukee ended up being a, a great fit for me. Um, my coaches at Milwaukee and I had really good relationships. We still do to this day. I, I talked to, uh, Scotty Duffick who just retired from Milwaukee this past summer. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, we talk about once a month or so. And so, and, uh, yeah, the, the, my teammates there were, uh, really, really aligned, I think with what I was trying to do as well. And so it was a great fit and we, we had some success, uh, got to play in the NCAA tournament, got to, you know, face Texas and face Notre Dame and, uh, you know, face some great schools and see some baseball at a really high level and, and really got to challenge myself. You know, I, I definitely was able to walk away from my college experience feeling like, Hey, I, I got to play at the highest level. I got to play against some of the best players in college. 
And I got to find out if I was good enough or not. And that was quite satisfying. Yeah. And it's like you said, you, you, you got that, you got a taste of being able to be at that at highest level and, and, and play against the, the highest level of competition. And so, and you talked about kind of playing in the NCAA tournament, playing against teams like Notre Dame, uh, you mentioned that and uh, playing uh, in those, in those games. Um, but if there's one thing and I'll, we'll trans, I will transition to volleyball, I promise, but yeah, no worries. No worries. If there's one thing from your uh, collegiate baseball career or your baseball journey uh, as a whole, one achievement or one moment that stands out to you, what would that be? Uh, I think the, the moment that made the most impact on me was a a moment, just a, a really quiet moment on the baseball field during a practice Mm-hmm. Um, when our, yeah, our hitting coach at the time, Scott Duffick, who ended up becoming the head coach eventually there mm-hmm. pulled me aside and basically said, uh, I think you need to increase your expectations of who you can be. I think I had spent most of my, my baseball journey, I don't know, being fast and relying on my glove. And so it was, uh, Hey, hit it on the ground and run fast and don't try to do too much, you know, get mm-hmm. on first steal second. Yeah. Um, you know, never miss a ball on the field kind of thing. Yeah. And at some point he said, Hey, you know what? You, you can hit doubles. You can hit home runs. You could increase what you believe you to be. And uh, that was a really powerful moment for me in my collegiate experience. And it all of a sudden it was, I think it was the first baseball coach I played for that uh-huh. saw me as something more and saw me as someone who could expand upon you know, who they were. And so if, for instance, I, I hit one home run a season, my first three years in college. And then I believe I hit eight home runs my senior year yeah. and I didn't grow. I didn't get bigger. I didn't, you know, I, nothing changed other than, you know, just a, maybe a core belief that like, I wasn't what everyone had always said I was and, and that I could be something, I could be something more and I could increase again, that, that, that level of expectation of who I could be. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was a real pivotal moment in my collegiate career. And I think it's obviously a moment that is held really strong for me in terms of who I want to be as a coach and how I want to help other people. But that was bigger than any game I played in. It was bigger than any hit I got or play I made in the field. It was, you know, that moment, I, I, you know, whatever it's been 25 some years here since I played a college baseball game. And uh, that moment at Hank Aaron field on our practice field stands out to me still to this day. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's great how, you know, one person or whether it's a coach, whether it's an assistant coach, whoever it may be, if it instill that belief in you, how you can change. You said you hit one home run your first three years, then all of a sudden you went off and hit eight your senior year. I mean, that's that core mindset and that belief shift, um, how that can impact um, players and impact uh, individuals on in the team. So that's great to, to kind of hear that. And I love how you talked about how that's kind of how you uh, approach your coaching style and want to coach and um, inspire uh, your players and help and put belief in, in your players. And so using that point, I want to kind of transition into your, your coaching career and kind of kind of touch on like what, what was the decision or that you made from transitioning from playing baseball to coaching volleyball? How did that happen? Was there a specific instance yeah. after your baseball career or your college career ended um, that you were like, let's transition to volleyball. How did that come about? Yeah, it was a happy accident. Okay. Um, I, uh, my 
my eligibility finished at Milwaukee, but I wasn't uh, in a position to graduate yet. So I had, a, I had a few classes that I had to take mm-hmm. and um, I ended up crossing paths with the women's volleyball coach at Milwaukee. And we had a pretty short conversation, you know, something to the extent of, Hey, you know, you were a pretty good high school volleyball player. We're looking for a kind of a student assistant to come in the gym and, you know, jump high and hit hard and, you know, do whatever we kind of need you to do. And, um, you know, I heard you're going to be around school for another semester. Uh, any chance that that's something you'd be interested in? Uh-huh. And uh, at the first, I remember the very first time we spoke, I was like, nah, I just, I'm ready. I'm going to move on. I'm going to, you know, shift gears and finish my career and become whatever I become kind of thing. And, uh-huh. um, and then I thought about it for a day or so and I called her back and just like, Hey, Kathy, you know, is this still an opportunity for me? Um, and she said, yeah. And so I, Hopped in the gym with Milwaukee women's volleyball team. And uh, that first season I was with them, again, essentially I was a practice player, I would say. You know, I mean, I just kind of came in the gym and whatever they needed me to do, whether it was serve 100 balls or hit some down balls or play middle blocker, I just did whatever they needed me to do. And um, that season was pretty good. Uh, Milwaukee ended up winning the Horizon League that year and going to the NCAA tournament. So I got to be part of this pretty cool run that the team made. And the season ended. And, um, there was a part-time uh, second assistant position uh, available at the time. And Kathy approached me and asked if that would be something I'd be interested in, in doing. She thought that I had some talent uh, coaching wise to at least keep expanding upon it. And uh, so, yeah, so I said, why not? So I came back and between coaching at Milwaukee part-time in the fall, I was able to also coach some club from Milwaukee sting in the spring and uh, kind of, you know, I don't know, patch together enough money to pay some rent. And yeah, yeah, and that's, that's kind of how it kicked off. It was really just, I don't know, right place, right time, crossing paths with the right person, you know, and uh, I guess being open to possibilities. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I know you've, you've coached at a variety of stops. You said you, you were at Milwaukee, you went to Wisconsin, Green Bay, you were uh, the head coach at South Dakota uh, for a number of years. And you went to the Big Ten at Minnesota. Now you're at Montana State. Um, out of all of those schools that you've coached at, uh, like I talked to you about your baseball career, kind of some memorable moments that you've had. Yeah. Can you speak on some of the memorable moments that you've had out of all of your coaching stops? Um, yeah. Yeah, they're all pretty cool and all very different from each other. Mm-hmm. Um I think one of the the parts of Milwaukee that stands out to me, well, first of all, working for Kathy Litzow as my first head coach, I think was one of the first, uh, one of the best things I could have, could have had. And she was mm-hmm. such a great influence and great leader and wonderful human being. And uh, she made it really apparent that you could do all things, right? You could be a great coach. You could be a great parent. You could be a great spouse. Uh, you could be a great friend. You know, she never, she, she really, came at it from a standpoint of like, you don't have to give things up to be good at this, right? You just have to manage your time really well. And you got to set your priorities at different times of the year. And I thought that was really formative for me at that time. Um, Another thing that really stands out in Milwaukee is that first season, we went to the NCAA tournament and we drew Northern Iowa at Northern Iowa and Northern Iowa was ranked that year. And uh, they were quite good. They had, they had some players like Molly O'Brien and a couple others that were just phenomenal but when you think about big time athletics right it isn't necessarily like schools like Milwaukee or Northern Iowa that come to your mind Mm -hmm. and so I think getting to see my very first season of volleyball and see a school like Northern Iowa 
compete at such a high level and be able to hang with, you know, your traditional kind of blue blood schools uh, really kind of made me believe like, hey, you can go to a mid-major school and if you do it right and you recruit well and you coach well and you get the right kids and you get the right atmosphere, there's no reason you can't have success at a really high level even if your name isn't Nebraska or USC or Stanford or Texas, right? Like you can still put something together here that competes on the national stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a, that was a really important moment. I think for me too early in my college career, college coaching career to see a mm-hmm. school that maybe wasn't your traditional power getting it done at such a high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, really cool. And then, yeah, I spent a couple of years there and went to green Bay and uh, Green Bay was in a rebuild at the time. Okay. And so I think what stands out to me there is, first of all, there was only one paid assistant. So it was the head coach and myself. Okay. And uh, so you have to be a jack of all trades when you're in that position. You're not only an assistant coach, but you're also the director of operations and you're the video person and you're the camp director and you're, you know, you're all of those things. You have to wear all those hats. And so yeah. it taught me so much about managing a program and what goes into it and being able to, uh, I don't know, maybe juggle all these different things that go into a program. And, um, you know, now, you know, a lot of times you get to Minnesota, right. And you just do this one thing because you got a person for all these jobs. And, yeah. um, but at green Bay, you had to, you had to do everything. And so, that was really cool. And to be part of a rebuild, I think was, was great. My, um, my first year there, I think we started 0 and 11, my very first season. Mm-hmm. And there was part of me, I was, you know, whatever I was 25 years old at the time. And I was like, Oh boy, what, you know, what did I get myself into? And I don't, maybe I'm in over my head or I don't, this isn't super enjoyable in this moment. And, yeah. you know, luckily I had, a, again, a head coach that I think was very mature and very much knew who she was and what she wanted to stand for. And she just stayed the course and we stayed in there and kept training and, um, you know, never got too low and never got too high. And, and eventually, you know, you get that first win and then you click off a few more and we end up having not a great season, but a reasonable season for a, for a season that had a bunch of freshmen on the floor and some kids playing out of position. And, um, and, uh, so I think I learned a lot about patience that year and a lot about, again, trusting the process and, staying true to who you were. There was no time. Her, her name was Deb Kirch at the time, who was the head coach there. And I felt like there was no time um, during that, the beginning of that rebuild where Deb was like, we got to change course completely. This isn't working. I think she really believed in like, Hey, this is going to be okay. We got the right kids. We're doing the right things. It's just going to take us a while. And, um, and we did, we eventually got there. And, and in my, in my three seasons there, every year we got better Um, And so we kind of, I got to see this little rebuild through, you know, in terms of pumping that program back up. And so it was cool. And uh, yeah. And then I'm 28 years old and I get a call from the South Dakota athletic director (laughs) and uh, uh, you know, he says something to the extent of like, Hey, we're a division two school that's transitioning to be division one. We weren't a very good division two volleyball program. (laughs) And uh you know, I'm looking for someone to come in here that, uh, you know, can help us through this transition and who, again, is going to bring lots of energy and maybe has some good recruiting ties. And um, but it's going to be hard at the beginning. You know, we're going to take a program that wasn't necessarily doing great at D2. And all of a sudden we got to play Division One volleyball. And um, and again, I was 28. I believe that season I was the youngest head coach in Division One volleyball. And uh, I was probably a little in over my head. I'm not sure I really knew what I was doing yet, uh, but it was it was a really cool opportunity. And so we jumped at it and went went there and yeah, took that program over and 
And uh, yeah, and the you know first three years were a little rocky, mm-hmm. and the next three years got a lot better. And uh, but uh, I had some great people around me. Um, had an assistant coach who's the head coach at, at South Dakota now, Leanne Felsine, uh, Leanne Williamson, um, who uh, had played for me my last season coaching club at Milwaukee Sting, and so we had this cool little connection and. Um, she was an awesome assistant and obviously has gone on to be a great head coach. But, you know, I think at my years at South Dakota, I learned a lot about being authentic. I learned a lot about sticking, you know, to what's true to you and not try to be somebody else. Cause I, I was pretty young. And so I think I was looking around the country and trying to figure out like, well, they're doing this over here and they're winning and they're doing this over here and they're winning. And I got to try to do all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I think young people are quite intuitive and smart. And I think they could see through me at the beginning that that was, excuse me, that really wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I finally figured out to be like, hey, this is what I believe in. And this is what I want to stand for. And this is the type of person I am. Uh, I think I grew a lot as a coach, you know, in that second half of my time there at South Dakota. So, yeah, and I, I loved it. I, I really loved every minute of it at South Dakota. It was hard and our facilities weren't great. And uh, we didn't have much money and you know, all that kind of stuff, but it was, it was really a fun time in my coaching career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then this random spring afternoon, I get a call from Hugh McCutcheon uh, yeah. and uh, you know, Hugh's just coming off the 2012 Olympic uh, where he got a silver medal with the women and um, he had just taken over Minnesota a year ago, a year before that. And he, uh, you know, he says to me, Hey, any chance you want to go back to being an assistant coach? And uh, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Tell me more about this. You know, And he's like, Hey, I, we're trying to you know build this program here in Minnesota back up. And uh, you know, I, I think I'd, I'd like to have a coach on staff who has head coaching experience. And, you know, I keep making inquiries and your name keeps coming up through the, you know, through the channels. And um, I'm just wondering if maybe, you know, you'd consider this, you know, could we get together? Could we chat some, could we get to know each other? And, and so that's what we started to do. We started to spend some time together and figure out if we were a good fit for each other and turned out that we were a pretty good fit for each other. And so, uh, after six years, I yeah resigned from South Dakota and went and joined the Minnesota staff and, um, you know, ended up becoming Hughes associate head coach. And, uh, it was cool. Went to three final fours, yeah. won the big 10 twice. You know, I had countless numbers of all Americans and uh, professional volleyball players. And um, I learned a lot. I, yeah, I learned a lot about coaching and I learned a lot about, especially skill acquisition. Hugh's really good at that phase of coaching of, mm-hmm. you know, helping athletes acquire skill and improve those skills. And um, he's, he's tedious in that way. And um, I think that's what made him great at the Olympic level, right. Being able to make kind of 1% gains with the best players in the world. And, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was really cool, um, to, to be there and experience that and to stand on those courts in the final four and, um, get to coach some really high level, you know, volleyball players. We had national player of the year once for us, Sarah Wilhite, yeah. Jeff Samity, who was a five-time all American and, you know, just all these, all these people that, you know, were not only cool human beings, but could play the, the game of volleyball at a really high level. And, True. um, so that was great. And so, yeah, I spent nine seasons there and, and then, yeah, a year ago, this opportunity to come to Montana State opened up. And, and man, from the very first conversation with Leon Costello, our AD here, it just felt like a no-brainer. It felt like a place that was really, really aligned with who I wanted to be and, and maybe how I wanted to live. And I felt like it was uh, 
maybe a program that was on the threshold of being able to do something great. Uh-huh. And they just hadn't been able to get over that hump. You know, they had kind of predominantly been a 500 team or below, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the last four, six years, something like that. And I just, I was looking at video of them. I was watching. I'm like, God, oh, man, these guys are pretty good. You know, there's a, they got a chance to, to move the needle and, uh, and you know, who could beat living in the mountains either. It's, it's great living here. And so, so yeah, we're just closing in on a year. I think next week will be a year uh, that I've been here at Montana state. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you've done so many amazing things in the past year at Montana state and in the big sky. Um, and so, um, no, it's been, it's been great. And it's great to see, you know, I think you've got, you got you, what you talked about with, you got the whole experience of being at green Bay, where you're kind of doing everything to being at uh, South Dakota in a transition to being in Minnesota in the big 10, which is a power five school. And then, uh, being able to kind of like you talked about being a jack of all trades, kind of being yeah. able to experience all those different schools uh, shapes your, I mean, for sure shapes your perspective. Um, Absolutely. So that's great to hear on, on, on that aspect. And so speaking of that, those experiences, building on those experiences and your coaching experiences. And I, I told you before I'm doing my PhD. And so we're required to do like a teaching philosophy of like what our philosophy is when we teach classes. So I want to kind of yeah. To you um, as a coach, because I believe coaching is teaching, um, and that's kind of how how that goes. And so, um, what would be kind of your main points of your coaching philosophy with keeping the, all these experiences that you've had in mind? Yeah, would be kind of the biggest points of your coaching philosophy. Sure. Uh, well, they all stem from trying to be authentic, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, you know, I read a book. I don't know, maybe a decade ago now. Um, by an author named Robert Rabin, who is no longer uh, alive, but um, he had these principles that uh, just really spoke to me and felt like they were quite authentic to me. And not every single one of them, but a few of them, you know, and um, ever since I I read that, you know, I just kept leaning into those things. And, um, and so really, like my, my life principles are, are pretty simple. And yet I think quite difficult to do on a daily basis, but I'm trying to do three things and I'm trying to live this way. I'm trying to coach this way. I'm trying to parent this way. Um, I'm trying to be a good spouse in this way. Um, but these, these three things guide almost all my you know decisions or the way that I'm going to act in any way. And they're again, really simple, be present, mm-hmm. you know, like, can I be here and be now and be in this moment? So for instance, right now, here I am in this podcast with you mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what happened 30 minutes before I got on this. I can't do anything about that. Or it can't matter that, I don't know, I got a pressing budget meeting coming up in a couple of weeks or, you know, whatever it is. Like I got to be here and be now and be in this moment. And when this moment's over, then I can move on to the next thing. But uh, those words are easy to say, but the actions are really hard to do. You know, you know, as well as I do, right. It's so much easier to get caught in what happened yesterday or what you're trying to do a year from now, or, um, but can you just stay in this moment? And so, I just try to remind myself of that pretty consistently, like be present, be present, be here, be where your feet are at right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a big coaching philosophy of mine too. I try to keep our players in that space all the time. Cause you know, the middle of a match, I don't know, you're down by a few points and set five and it's looking a little, you know, uh, you know, not great, right? Like the, Hey, we could possibly lose this thing right now. And you start getting caught up in the outcome. 
and you for sure aren't going to win that match then, but can you bring them back to the moment, right? Can you bring them back? Like, Hey, here you are. It's 11, 10, here you are. Can you be in this moment right now? All that matters is this next ball that you're going to play. And then we're going to get rid of that one and move on to the next one. So, so be present, speak truthfully is uh, number two for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I think we live in a world that wants to uh, maybe sugarcoat things or, you know, skew the truth a little bit to make ourselves look or sound a little bit better. We don't want to get in trouble. So we spin something a little bit. And uh, I've just tried to live in a space where like, I'm just going to live in the truth. And if that means this is really hard to say, or if it means it makes me look poor in the moment because I made a bad decision, that's okay. Like, that's what it is. It's Mm -hmm. what is the truth in this moment? I just think we, we don't get better. We don't improve. We don't move the needle if if we're living in the gray or if we're telling falsities um and so we tell our athletes all the time as well hey we're just going to live in the truth and i'm going to have to tell you some hard things mm-hmm. you're going to hear some things from me that you're not going to like all the time mm-hmm. uh but i'll do it compassionately and i'll be empathetic but i'm going to tell you the truth right i don't believe truth has to be brutal i don't mm-hmm. think those two things have to go hand in hand gotcha but but can we just be honest hey Uh, For instance, with an athlete, if she comes in, hey, why am I not playing coach? Mm -hmm. Well, I could choose to be like, hey, you're doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. You're getting better, all Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. And those things might be accurate, but that doesn't answer her question. You know, Mm -hmm. instead, I got to be like, hey, you're behind player X because of these three things. Mm -hmm. You know, her numbers are better than you. She's communicating with the team better than you. And when she's on the court, the team wins more often, something like that. Right. Yeah. And those things might not be easy for that athlete to hear. Yeah. But at least she walks out of the office going, okay, at least I understand where I stand, mm-hmm. you know, and then I can give her some things. And, and again, first of all, I can say those things in a compassionate way. Yeah. I can understand that the moment is hard for her. And so I don't have to be a jerk about it. You know, I can be a, you know, I could be a good human in that moment. Um, and I can tell her, Hey, you got to change this, or you got to improve at this all mm-hmm. with the understanding that you might improve at those things. Yeah. And the player ahead of you may also continue to improve and you might not get ahead of them, yeah. but I hope you see the work as being worth it. I hope you see the improvement as being worth it, you know? And so maybe that's a way that speak truthfully plays out in the program at times. For sure. For and sure. then, Finally, we try to listen deeply. And so those are the three principles. And uh, like I said, I stole those from Robert Rabin. They they stuck out to me, you know, I don't know, hit me deep back in the day when I read that. And yeah. it felt very authentic. And, and, you know, maybe this last piece about listening is like, you know, we're trying to listen with the intent to understand people. Yeah. Um, you know, so much of listening ends up being, hey, I'm waiting to interject. I want to tell you why you're wrong. I want to tell you what I believe, all these kinds of things. And I'm just trying to come from it from a place of like, Hey, can I try to understand what you're telling me? Yeah. Can I at least imagine what it's like to walk a day in your shoes mm-hmm. and uh, possibly have a little bit of empathy of what you're going through. And we don't listen with the intent to agree. I don't think we're looking for agreement in all things unless agreement happens, then that's great. Yeah. But you know, just, can I, can I try to understand what you're talking about? And, and again, and those other things play out. Yeah, I got to be present to do that, you know? And when I do have a, uh, a chance to speak or mm-hmm. rebuttal, you know, like, okay, can I, can I speak my truth then in that moment? So, 
So that's it. Those are the things. Those are the things that guide all of my daily actions. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I, I mean, when you were talking through those points, I'm like, that's something that I have to constantly, it's great that you mentioned that. Cause it's like being present right now. Like I'm doing my dissertation. I was coaching I'm doing all these things. And I'm starting to think of the future jobs and everything. I'm like, you gotta be, when you said that, I'm like, yeah, I gotta stay where my feet are right where I'm at right now. And not think about because I think when you start thinking about future things or past things you know worry yeah. and everything else starts to sit in and then that's when you you know they start to unravel so I love how you said that yeah. being, being in the present um you know being honest speaking the truth that's uh, that's another uh, big one that you mentioned and then again you know uh that's I think the other thing too is I like as you can probably tell like to talk a lot like to but I feel like that's another aspect where again I feel like I could be better at in teaching and coaching, whatever I do, yeah. uh, future in terms of listening to others and really being able to li- not, not talk and not talk to others, yeah. but just listen to what they're saying instead of trying to talk over them. And, and Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I think one of the big things is right. Like you're, I'm not here to tell anybody how to be a good coach because there's a million ways to coach. Right. But like, hopefully for most people, we're trying to get to the right answer. Mm-hmm. not be right. Yeah. Like my goal isn't for me to be right. No. Yeah. If I happen to have the best answer in the moment, that's going to help us then cool. Great. Yeah. But if it comes from any of my assistants, great. If it comes from our athletes, awesome. If it comes from the custodian down the hallway and I'm walking by him and he says something that I don't know, turns something for me. Awesome. That's great that I got it. But the goal is just to get to the right answer and yeah. to get to the right answer you got to choose to be a good listener, right? Yeah, you got to yeah. choose to really engage in that activity. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, so many coaches at times want to, right? They want to be at the top of the pyramid. They want to be the person, like I'm the person with the answers. You listen to me. This is how we're going to do it. And this is the only way. And it's unfortunate. Like, you know, we, we coach, oh, I coach a team sport. I have lots of people around me. I have lots of people around me who have really good ideas, who are uh, great thinkers. Mm-hmm. Plus, my athletes are actually the ones out there on the court. They're actually the ones doing the activity. Yeah. And so I better take what they say because <laughs> I'm not the one hitting the ball in the moment. I don't know what it feels like out there in the moment. Yeah. I'm an observer at the time, yeah. and I'm here to guide. I'm here to you know lead when necessary. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think one of my biggest I don't know, job descriptions is to try to eliminate obstacles from them. You know, it's like, hey, how do we get some stuff out of your way so you can go play free and easy and let your, you know, let let your true self shine out there. And so, um, and that means, that means we're not trying to make it easy, right? Like, obviously, we, we want to go through hard things, yeah. but most people don't ever end up becoming the best version of themselves because they can't get out of their own way. For sure. And I, I think me as a coach, my biggest thing is like, can I listen to them so I can hear the stuff that's getting in their way yeah. and then try to give them tools or help them get those things out of there so sure. that they can actually go be who they you know potentially could be. Sure. I, you know, that's probably my biggest job. Yeah, no. And and like I said, that's something that you, you mentioned and I, I've experienced this through coaches I've had that I feel like potentially and myself too. I saw that in myself this year coaching as well, something that I could improve on, not just coaching wise as well, but also in the classroom when I'm teaching and uh, teaching students, just kind of understanding their perspective better and, and going through that. 
that process better. Yeah. So it's great to to hear that. And so um, as we kind of wrap up uh, the episode here, I always try to end my episode. The, the meaning behind or the reasoning behind me starting the podcast was to kind of um, help uh, you know inspire the younger generation, high school youth youth players. And so wanted to kind of uh, ask you in terms of, and I ask my athlete athletes that I interview all the time is what kind of advice if if you were in a room full of young uh, volleyball players or high school volleyball players what advice would you from all from your experiences and from what you've learned and your your coaching what advice would you give them um to to the youth and the young young yeah. ball players what, what what's one piece of advice you'd give them yeah i'd say do your best to redefine what the word failure means for you you know, can you see failure as learning opportunities? Can you see failure as growth? Can you see failure as uh, eliminating ways things work? You know, but instead, I, I think we're uh, we're at a stage right now where we're fairly fear driven. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to end up on, you know, fail army on the Internet. We don't want to end up on all these things. Right. We don't want to look silly because everyone's taking a picture of us. Or everyone's taking a video. And so I Even think the memes it, and everything. <laughs> yeah. And so my experience is I, I think we're I think today's youth is a little bit more um, safe mm-hmm. than than I'd like to see them be, because I, I don't think you ever get to experience mm-hmm. what you're fully capable of yeah. if you play it safe. Yeah. And so, you know, we something we say in our, our gym often is right. Let, let's fail. Let's fail often and let's fail forward. Mm-hmm. And so if I got an athlete and she's got, I don't know, 20 fails during practice, yeah. I'm cheering the heck out of her. Like, yeah. I think that's a great day of practice. Yeah. We learned a bunch of ways that it doesn't work. We figured out all these things and we were able to be free enough and feel safe enough to let this stuff fly. Yeah. And so, um, so, Hey, for instance, I can give you an example. I'm uh-huh. 45 years old. Uh-huh. I've decided that I'm going to learn to snowboard. I'm living here in Bozeman, right? We got all these great mountains around us. I've never done a winter sport like this before. Uh, You know, I grew up in the Midwest and flatlands, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm like, hey, I want to learn a new skill. I want to take advantage of these mountains. And uh, so I've been doing it for a few weeks. I'm Mm -hmm. awful at it, okay? Okay. But I remind myself every day when I go up there, if I can leave this mountain having failed and fell and tried all these things, then it's, uh, it it is a success. It's not about getting down the mountain without falling. It's not about not taking any risks, right? I got to get up there and I'm nervous and I'm scared at times. And I feel some fear at times and I don't want to fall getting off the lift. I don't want to do all these things. Right. But like, all right, I'm just going to be brave. I'm just going to do this. You know, and I'm going to go forward anyways. And so every time I fall, I'm like, okay, I fell. Why did I fall? How do I learn from that? What happened there? And I think that's what we need more of at the youngest levels. I think we need coaches that are coaching, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds to not be worried about the outcome of the match or the game or, you know, whatever they're playing. Mm -hmm. And instead be way more concerned with helping these kids learn how to learn and creating safe environments for them where they can fail and they can, you know, face their fears and they can let it go. I think that would be really cool for the youth of America right now or the youth of the world. How about, you know, it's, it's like you said, I think I I watched an interview with uh, Gino Ariema, the uh, UConn head coach, and he was talking about how now you have parents that, 
have certain expectations of their kid in high school or youth. And that kind of drives that kid away from taking risks and kind of what you mentioned. And yeah. you know, it's everything in life. I feel like is a risk, right? You, when you first, Absolutely. you know, when you first took the uh, coaching position at Milwaukee, like that was, you know, you had to take a risk, you had to take a chance on that. So like, you know, to me, it, it's a great message uh, from your part because I see a lot of kids nowadays that, you know, especially in a team sport, you know, it's like kids that if they don't get the ball or if they don't get it such, or if they don't get a kill or if they don't get to, you know, they don't get a, they don't catch a pass or score a touchdown. They, even if the team wins, they're like, Oh, well, you know, right. I suck. And it's like, no, you know, you gotta understand, like you gotta do what's best for the team and you gotta play because I feel like a lot of, and being coaching football this past uh, year or so, um, I got that at the high school level where parents are, you know, they put so much pressure on their kid to perform that they can't take those risks and they can't be as involved and, and do that thing. So, yeah, absolutely. So, but appreciate you. That's the kind of going to wrap up the episode here, but I appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, spending time and, and talking. You, you had some, you know, you, you gave me a lot of good insights and, you know, I'm sure I, what I do is I try to, uh, reach out to our high schools here and provide these kind of episodes and to our high schools cool. helps out um, our, you know, kind of that basic of why I started the podcast was to kind of inspire the youth and help, help out younger, uh, younger athletes um, get an understanding of what it takes to really play volleyball or play basketball or play football or whoever I'm interviewing at the time at that level. And so appreciate you for coming on and and sharing your wisdom and your insights and, really appreciated the conversation there uh with you as well so well thank you man i had a good time being here it was a good questions and uh yeah i hope uh we keep moving the needle forward for young athletes and coaches for sure for sure well it's all the time we have for this uh this episode of the athlete insights uh, podcast again i want to thank coach matt hauk for uh for coming on and spending time with me i'll have uh your social media handles on the youtube um so you can follow coach um on twitter and instagram um and then you can also follow our podcast you can listen to this episode on spotify apple podcast youtube basically anywhere you get a get podcast you can listen to it um but again coach uh thank you for for spending time uh best of luck to you um this season this upcoming season um and this uh recruiting period as well i know uh you're snowboarding as well so best of luck to you <laughs> on that snowboarding uh journey as well um, for you. So, um, but overall, thank you so much. And, uh, we'll, we'll see you next time.